Well, brothers and sisters, happy Sunday. Folks, let us pray. Holy One, send your Holy Spirit like a dove. Ignite our hearts and give us a word. Amen. There is an empty spot in our sanctuary today. Yesterday we had a funeral and we said goodbye to Lois Van Til. Lois was a pillar of this church and now she is a saint in light. I want to thank all of you who came and who helped out with that service and helped us say goodbye. I joke that it's easier to do a funeral for someone who is so good and kind uh, because the opposite is the truth. It's hard to do a funeral for a cad. <laughs> it's hard to do a funeral for somebody who didn't make much of a positive impact on the world. But everybody's got good in them somewhere, but Lois was possessed of it in great measures. She, and, and, and so much of it, I only learned uh, upon reflecting on our conversations together, she was such a good listener. It's hard to find people like that these days. It seems like so many people are just waiting for their opportunity to speak, to share their own piece of the conversation. But Lois just wanted to listen. And when I was speaking with her children and her grandchildren and even little Kai, her, her great-grandson, they always said the same thing. She always wanted to know what we were interested in. That is a beautiful gift. And I'm thankful for it. I said yesterday, but the first time we met, I talked her ear off about fishing. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know what got into me, but I just wanted to talk about fishing. I'd just been on a fishing trip, and I was talking about fish. And uh, uh, for those of you who know, Lois put herself through school cleaning and gutting fish. Fish was probably the last thing on the planet that she wanted to talk about. <laughs> we talked about fish. She lived up north. Uh, she moved up north with her family when they were 12 years old. They purchased a, a resort up there where she rented out kayak, uh, canoes to fishermen and probably listened to way more fish stories than anybody should ever have to listen to. But she was so good at listening. And in listening, she took the burden off of your shoulders. She would take your anxiety and hold on to it for you. What a gracious gift. Today, um, Jesus is trying to get us to relax. He's again trying to teach us how to stop being so anxious. So often in life, we think that we have these formal rules. I'm always careful to tell people when they're in grief or mourning the passing of a loved one. I'm always careful to say something that my uncle uh, my beloved Uncle Ross, who isn't, I wouldn't say exactly a fount of wisdom, but <laughs> when my father died, I was 22 years old, and I'll never forget my uncle, he, he, well, he handed me a glass of scotch, which I don't know about that, but then he said, there's no right way or wrong way to go through this. What a gem that was. To receive. And so that's what I tell people when they're feeling this mourning, this anxiety, this sense of what do I do? I want to do it right. I, I don't want to do it wrong. Mourning is something that doesn't have a right and a wrong. 
It's something that we do all on our own. Jesus says that, I know that you're weary. I know you're carrying heavy burdens. I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. It reminds me, yesterday, after the funeral, the wonderful folks from the funeral home were here helping with everything, and there was a gentleman uh, in the back. He was one of the funeral directors, and he saw somebody who he knew uh, from outside of his professional line of work, and they... I, they said, hey, Bill, you know, I got to talk to you about some stuff, you know, but they were at a funeral. It wasn't the appropriate venue. And, he, and the funeral director responded, ah, I'll see you sooner or later. <laughs> and then he put his hands over his face. <laughs> and I, I went up to him and I put a hand on his shoulder and I said, I'm going to use that line in my sermon tomorrow. <laughs> said no but that's the truth he will funeral directors are marvelous human beings because they live every day in that intersection between the now and the not quite yet and then the suddenly is and they know that truth and they know it in their bones before people get married um, I uh, this reminds me, I saw a Catholic priest. I, when I was on my way home from the service uh, yesterday, I had to go to the hardware store. The hardware store, Ace Hardware, just down the street. And I walked in and I ran into a priest. It's very unusual to, for us. We don't, that doesn't happen, especially at hardware stores. I have no earthly idea what he was doing there. And uh, it, was a, it was a Catholic priest, so he had the, the cassock all buttoned up and it was, he had the top two buttons undone, so I knew he was off for the day. And I, and I said, 33 buttons, because I know there's 33 buttons on a Roman Catholic cassock, for one for each year of Jesus' life. And whenever I see a Roman Catholic priest, I like to shout weird Roman Catholic trivia at them. And he said, yes, my son, 33 buttons. And he said, you're working today. He knew, and he immediately knew I was a, a, a Protestant. And I said, I am. And he said, hatch, match, or dispatch? <laughs> Because we, 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 we baptize them, and then we marry them, and then we say goodbye. And I said, dispatch. And he, without a pause, he wrapped me up in his arms, just came and gave me a big hug. And that was it. All right there in front of the clerk in the hardware aisle. And when I, when I match, when I give them, when I tell them that they're going to get, people are going to get married, they're so anxious. Young married people in this country, they're, they're getting married, and now like marriage is kicked into, into high gear because COVID, so many weddings were put off. And now it's just like weddings after weddings after weddings. And I did my 164th wedding uh, a couple weeks ago, and I've done a lot of weddings. I love doing weddings, unlike a lot of clergy folk. But I always give them the same boilerplate speech, whether they've been together for 50 years or they've been together for, for five weeks. I always say to them, an engagement is not an agreement to get married. It's an agreement to strongly consider getting married. We have a wedding industrial complex in this country. And it's almost as if as soon as a person purchases a diamond ring, they're railroaded to the altar. And I always tell them, 
if your anxiety is too great or if you need to push the pause button or if you need to, to, to call this whole thing off, let me know and I will treat your decision with respect. I'll treat you like adults. I'll, I'll call the caterer. I'll handle returning the rented chairs. I'll even call your sad aunt Sally who's disappointed. It didn't work out. Because I don't want them to be anxious when they're there getting married. I want them to be as close to certain as anybody ever can be. There's this anxiety around it. What I really want for them, just as I want for the families who mourn at funerals, just as I want for the adults who are handing me an infant to be baptized, or just as I want for the people who are kneeling at the pre-do to receive their own baptism, is I want them to be present. I want them to be present in the moment we humans spend so much time, time traveling in our brains. Some of us spend a lot of time in the past. That's me. I'm spending, I spend, I time travel. Every time I sit down, if I, if I don't have a device in front of me or a screen on me or something, I'm time traveling back to the past, back to, oh, college or whatever nonsense I got up to in my 20s, I don't really remember. Uh, but I think about that stuff. But I know that for many of you, you spend a great deal of time in the future. You sit and you spend a great deal of time, time traveling into a future that is unknown. Worrying, worrying, being so anxious about what's to come or how you're going to handle such and such a situation. Jesus knows this. He says to all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, Come to me. You will find rest for your souls. A soul that is time traveling is not a soul at rest. It's a soul that is piling on anxiety. In my case, spending as much time as I do time traveling to the past, it's regret. I have all of this regret. Why did I do this? Why didn't I do this? Why did I, why was I a Chicago Bears fan? What, what, was, I, what was I trying to do there? And, and so you get this regret, okay? Regret leads to depression. And for those of us who travel into the future, you're, you're getting anxiety. It creates anxiety. Anxiety can also lead to depression. There's a great quote that says, depression is when you don't care about anything and anxiety is when you care too much about everything. And having both is just like hell. And that's the truth. I think that the yoke of Jesus Christ is simply being present in the moment you're in. That's it. We are constantly assaulted with news stories about what this means for the future. You, 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 I'll explain. I, I collect old newspapers. It's a weird habit that I picked up years ago and I love to sit in my big easy chair and I open up a Grand Rapids Press from 1932 
and I read all about the Depression <laughs> or whatever was happening in 1932. It's just fun. I sit there and I pretend like I'm, you know, back in Leave it to Beaver days and read the newspaper. And I will tell you that newspapers in the olden, well, I shouldn't say olden days, that's terrible. Some of you were around in the 30s. That's, once upon a time, that's even worse. In the past, it was that newspapers simply told you what had happened. That was it. You would open the newspaper and would say, in France, X, Y, and Z happened. And then way on the back page of the newspaper, you might find a few editorials or prognostications about what this might mean for the future. But that was a very small amount of the news. The news really was about what had happened. And people wanted to know what had happened because they didn't have social media. They didn't have a constant feed of what was going on. Today, when you turn on the news or you open a newspaper, if, if God help you, if you can find one, 90% of what we're told is about what this means. What does this mean for the U.S. economy? What does this mean for the global economy? What does this mean for West Michigan? What will happen? None of those people have any idea what will happen. They don't know, and they shouldn't be able to collect a paycheck for pretending that they do. But that's what the news is. God alone knows what will happen. God alone knows what will happen. And so we become like them when we're anxious about the future. We think, what does this mean for me? What is, what's what's going to happen to my bank account? What's going to happen? We don't know. We don't know. We just don't know. And so Jesus says, put that down. You don't need to do it. It's not helpful. Take on my yoke, for my burden is light. Jesus teaches us, as we just learned, as we've been learning, going through the Gospel of Matthew, the, the most important thing is to do that which you can in the moment and with immediacy for the person that's in front of you. The cup of cold water. When he teaches us to give a cup of cold water, it doesn't mean go out and figure out how to drill wells and, and plan for the next 10,000 people who are going to need a cup of cold water. It just means doing the thing that you can do right when you can do it for the person in front of you. That's it. It doesn't require prognostication or knowledge of the future. It definitely doesn't require regret, shame, or any of the stuff from the past. That stuff's useless. It just means that right now, in this moment, do that which Jesus would do. What would Jesus do in this very moment? That is a great and light burden. And it breaks my heart that so often people only really come to terms with this at the end of their lives. Well, I know this, I told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again because it was one of the best stories I know. I was sitting with my friend Bill, and he was in his 90s, and he had, he was in, we were in hospice, uh, we were hanging out together, he was eating dinner, and I was speaking with him, and we were planning his funeral service, um, and he had lost his ability to see, he was blind, and he was almost deaf, and his world was very near to him. It was just the things that he could see or touch or feel or taste. And he's eating his food, and I'm talking about probably the Bible or some, some minister thing. And he slapped his hand on the table. Then I thought, he's going to the Lord. He's going home. <laughs> I said, Bill, are you okay? <laughs> he said, sorry. It's just this is the best damn chocolate pudding I've ever had in my life. I was off 
I was traveling into Bill's future, and Bill was there tasting something delicious. And that was his whole world in that moment. Would that we could have that all the time. I know for a fact that children have that. Not that children don't worry or don't get scared. They do. They have fears and all of that sort of thing. They don't worry in the same way that adults do, though. And their world is very proximate. It's very near to them. It's immediate. And Jesus says, again and again, and even today, even today, he says, I thank you that you revealed this to who? To infants. To infants. Jesus says, I thank you, Father, that, that you've given the truth to infants and what? Hidden it from the wise and intelligent. He says to us over and over again, be like children. What could that mean if not to be present in this very moment where God has sown you like a seed in the good earth? This week, if you are anxious or worried, I'll give you an objective truth, which is this. Nobody knows the future. Nobody. Please don't give money to people who say they do. They don't. The past is relegated to the mercy of God's forgiveness. The only thing that we have is this moment. Let that moment, let the present be the yoke of Jesus Christ that you put on. And do, as I say to the young married couples, I'm also fond of telling them, for every alcoholic beverage you don't have on your wedding day, you can have two on your honeymoon. And the, the reason that I say that is because I want them to be taking mental photographs. I want them to be taking mental photographs. Put your cameras away, put your phones away, see through your eyes, not through the screen. Capture this moment, be fully present, fix it in your mind. By doing so, you will be present. And I think that for us disciples, for us who are set aside to be called Christians, for us little Christs, the work of discipleship requires us to be absolutely present in the moment. That is my hope for this week. That's the yoke that I'm going to try to wear this week amidst the troubles and trials and tribulations is to simply be present in this very moment and all else, regret, anxiety, shame, all of the terrible, terrible burdens that come with time travel, I'm going to set those down and let God deal with them and just be present. Amen? Amen.